Have you ever thought of your life as an offering? Hey, welcome. It's another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot as she called us to live to a higher standard and not be satisfied with just a little empty religion as a shallow substitute for what we could have. As our series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, from friends, and others who were influenced by the life of Elizabeth Elliot and her message. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Well, we're currently in a series called What Shall I Give Him? It's parts two and three, your life as a worshipful offering. And a good question, what is love? We'll be hearing from Jim and Andrea Hawthorne. Jim is the nephew of Jim Elliott, and Andrea is the niece of Elizabeth Elliott. They have a unique story. But today they'll be talking about the story of the five martyrs in Operation Alka, Jim Elliott among them, who were killed in their efforts to reach out to the Alka, or, well, Donnie people. You know, there are certain times in our lives that stand out, whether it has to do with a president dying, an attack on the U.S., maybe a NASA disaster, something that happens and widespread remembrance of that day. Well, some events like that happened before we're even around, but we hear about it later, about those pivotal moments in our family's lives. Well, today they'll tell us about whether they remember the first time they heard the story of the five martyrs in Operation Alka. Later on, we'll hear the voice of Jim Elliott himself, dealing with General MacArthur and the return of Jesus. That's later. Right now, though, let's get to part two of What Shall I Give Him? Your life as a worshipful offering. You know, the offering isn't just put into the basket as it's passed by. The offering plate may have money. What about life? How can that be an offering? It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or dismayed. That promise given thousands of years ago by Moses to Joshua is for you and me today, for all who are willing to follow the Lord. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you today again about what shall I give him? When you think of worship, do you think primarily of what goes on in church? Or perhaps in church and your own private prayer time? Maybe you're one of those who is in, inclined and inspired to worship when you see a great natural wonder, such as the Grand Canyon or a spectacular sunset. All those are appropriate, but have you ever thought of your whole life as a worshipful offering to the Lord? That's the way I want to think of mine, that my very life, all that I do, is an offering to God. When I sit at the typewriter preparing my talks for Gateway to Joy, is that pleasing to him? Well, I think so. I think it's part of God's assignment. And so if I offer up the typing of the notes for these programs, isn't that an act of worship? Isn't that something that God has given me to give back to him? If you're in your car right now going to or from where you need to be, doing the needful thing, whatever the thing is that's connected with your duty, 
Aren't you fulfilling a duty which is a part of your offered-up life? I believe that God accepts it as such. And lest you think that worship is a very vague and nebulous, sort of a shapeless thing, let me show you how specific it is in the 25th chapter of Exodus, verses 1 to 9. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Tell the Israelites to set aside a contribution for me. You shall accept whatever contribution each man shall freely offer. This is what you shall accept, gold, silver, copper, violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat's hair, tanned ram skins, porpoise hides, and acacia wood, oil for the lamp, balsam for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, cornelian and other stones ready for setting in the ephod and the breastpiece. Make me a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. Make it exactly according to the design I show you, the design for the tabernacle and for all its furnishings. This is how you must make it. Make an ark, a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, one cubit and a half wide, and one cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and put a band of gold all around it. And he goes on to describe the minutest details of the making of the Ark of the Covenant. But here are just ordinary things. They're not all what we would call ordinary, not gold and silver, but things which were available to the people. Some of the things would be available only to those who had wealth and some to ordinary people. Tanned ram's skins, I suppose, wouldn't be uh, too unusual. And God was asking the people to bring these things as their offerings to him, sacrifices and offerings. Now, what is it that you and I have to offer? I'll give you five things at least. Well, maybe I should just start with four. We may not have time for five today. But the first thing as defined by Scripture is your body. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It was when I was 12 years old that I began to understand that if Jesus Christ was Lord of my life, he must have the rights. He must be the one who is in charge. And so I surrendered to him my will, my plans, my purposes, my desires, my hopes, and accepted his will for my life. That was my 12-year-old commitment to Jesus Christ. I learned a prayer from a missionary named Betty Scott Stam, which you've probably heard me quote on this program many times. But it is such an important part of my own life and my own understanding of this subject of offering that I want to give it again to you today. Betty Scott Stam was a missionary in China who, along with her husband John, was beheaded. And this was what she prayed, and this is the prayer that I copied into my Bible when I was 12. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt. Work out thy whole will in my life. 
at any cost, now and forever. Another thing that we can offer to God besides our bodies is our faith. In Philippians 2, verse 17, we read, But if my life blood is to crown that sacrifice, which is the offering up of your faith, I am glad of it. Paul is writing to the Philippian Christians, referring to their faith. So when you offer to God your trust in him, that is a part of your sacrifice. That's one of the offerings defined in Scripture. And there's a third offering. It's the offering of praise spoken of in Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the tribute of lips which acknowledge his name, and never forget to show kindness and to share what you have with others. For such are the sacrifices which God approves. There's a fourth sacrifice in that verse. The third is praise, and the fourth is kindness, sharing. Sometimes that does involve real sacrifices that hurt a little bit, things that cost us something to be kind to somebody else, to go out of our way. The measure of our love for God will be the measure in which you and I are willing to be inconvenienced by other people. Shall I say that again? The measure of our love for God will be the measure to which we are willing to be inconvenienced by other people. But if we're willing to be inconvenienced, gladly and without complaining and beefing about it, I think that that can be an offering to God as a sacrifice. I doubt that God is very interested in sacrifices which are offered grudgingly. And then there's another one, thanksgiving. That is called a sacrifice, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And that one is also spoken of in that same verse. Thanksgiving and praise to God. I really had never thought about how my thanksgiving could be a sacrifice until I began to learn to thank God for things for which I would not normally be thankful. To thank God for a hard thing in your life, that does have in it a real element of sacrifice, doesn't it? Because what you have to be doing is simultaneously relinquishing your feelings your emotions, your natural reactions, perhaps bitterness, resentment, discomfort, anger, those may be the natural feelings that come as a result of whatever this thing is in your life, the person who has done something to you or the person who has failed to do what they should have done, uh, some disaster, some material loss, whatever the thing is for which your natural reactions would be anything but thanksgiving. There's the opportunity for us to learn the sacrifice of thanksgiving. You remember that Habakkuk said that even if there were no grapes on the vine, no figs on the tree, and no cattle in the barn, yet, he said, will I praise the Lord. That, I think, gets right down to the real heart of the matter of what I can offer to God. And I'm sure that I'm talking to many people who have found that just making yourself praise the Lord, maybe even sing out loud, as my friend Arlita Winston says she does, she sings out loud because the devil hates songs. He hates to have Christians singing songs. If you just do that, uh, 
as an act of the will, regardless of how you're feeling, you have had the experience, haven't you, many of you, of discovering that the very experience itself seems to be transformed. Problems begin to melt away. The sun begins to come out. The dark clouds are dissipated. So let's think of those things which we can offer to God. Our body, our faith, our praise, our thanksgiving, and our kindness. Part two of What Shall I Give Him? Your Life as a Worshipful Offering. Later on, we're going to hear from Jim Elliott, an excerpt from a sermon he gave, dated April 11, 1951. First, though, let's hear from Jim and Andrea Hawthorne. Jim is the nephew of Jim Elliott, Andrea the niece of Elizabeth Elliott. Do they remember when they first heard the story of Jim Elliott and the other four missionaries dying in Operation Alka? Do they remember that moment when they heard about it? I couldn't answer that question very easily. It was more of a coffee table book. We had several of the stories, particularly Savage, my kinsman at that point in time, was was part of the, the end table in my mom's home. So I grew up with the picture book right in front of us. And my answer would be exactly the same. I don't remember a time when I didn't know about it. And we also had the coffee table book and didn't grow up with a TV, but we I would sit and look at that book over and over and over again. So we knew early on that uh, both of us, Jim and I, knew that missions was foundational in our family, so we just didn't know anything different. People went from our families. That was also the interesting part of growing up at on the campus of Wheaton College. My parents' house that I was born into was essentially bought from the college and turned into an extension of their campus. But originally we were living, going up right across the street from McCulley Stadium, the football field, and a block away from St. and Elliott dormitories. So again, it was, it was very much a present story in our family. Jim and Andrea Hawthorne. Later on, we'll hear an excerpt from a sermon from Jim Elliott. He'll be talking about General MacArthur. He'll be talking about the return of Jesus. This is dated April 11, 1951. First, though, it's part three of What Shall I Give Him? Here's a very basic question, something that we all should think about. What is love? It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or dismayed. That promise given thousands of years ago by Moses to Joshua is for you and me today and for all who are willing to follow the Lord. The words come from Deuteronomy 31, 8. This is your friend Elizabeth Elliot talking with you again today about what we may offer to God. We've been talking about sacrifice, offering, oblation, to use an old word not too common today. In Hebrews 13, the 16th verse, we read, Never forget to show kindness and to share what you have with others, for such are the sacrifices which God approves. Kindness and sharing spring from love, don't they? Love is the distinguishing mark 
of a Christian. I'll never forget an appalling TV show, which I was more or less forced to watch. I was sitting in an airport where there was a, a television, huge television set right in front of this waiting area, so you really couldn't get away from it. And that particular talk show was about mothers who had abandoned their children. And I must say, I was transfixed as I watched the faces of these mothers quite shamelessly and openly telling their stories. They just got fed up with motherhood. There was a whole lot more to it than they had bargained for. They didn't like it. They didn't think they were cut out for it. It didn't give them any freedom. They needed to get out of the house. They needed to do something for themselves. And each one of them uh, quite candidly said, yes, I left my children, left my husband and my children. And I heard one of them say, who says we have to do all this for our children? Society? Husbands? Guilt? And I waited for somebody in the audience to suggest that maybe love would enter in and persuade you to make some sacrifices for your children. There was not a voice. There was no notion of self-offering. Love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. In Ephesians 5, 2, we read, in a word, as God's dear children, try to be like him and live in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up on your behalf as an offering and sacrifice whose fragrance is pleasing to God. What is love? Is it a feeling? Is it a mood, a temperament? Is it, as the world would have us believe, a glandular condition, something that just happens? And when it goes, it goes, and when it's not working anymore, forget it. Love is action. Love, we understand, through the cross of Calvary. The Bible says by this we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. Christ laid down his life for us. How much more can you do in personal sacrifice? He did the ultimate thing. He gave himself. And that same verse, it's in 1 John 3.16, says, if Christ laid down his life for us, then we, in our turn, ought to lay down our lives for each other. Not many weeks ago, I saw a beautiful illustration of this personal self-offering in, of all places, a subway in New York City. I was on my way to Brooklyn with my husband, and at one of the stops, two black men got on with a bunch of rowdy little boys. The little boys were all colors, and everybody was laughing, and there was tremendous energy and ceaseless movement and these wonderful faces, cheerful faces of these boys. They were going to a baseball game. And they were up and down from their seats and changing seats and joshing and poking each other and running up and down and grabbing the poles that you hang on to in the subway. But I was sitting right where the two men were standing, and I was able to listen to their conversation. 
and I had gotten a big bang out of hearing one of them turn to one of the boys who was particularly rowdy and up and down from his seat. And he, in a very kind way, with a big smile, he took the little boy by the shoulders and sort of spun him around and pushed him toward a seat, and he said, put your rump on the stump. Well, then I heard these two men talking to each other. They were giving their Sunday afternoon to boys whose fathers gave them nothing. These two men knew the families from which these boys came, and they knew that the fathers of these children spent most of their afternoons sitting in front of the television at home. These two men could have used the time in the same way, selfishly. But instead of that, here they were giving up their Sunday afternoons, and I gather that it was a regular thing week after week, they gave their Sunday afternoons to boys whose fathers were giving them nothing. Is there a father listening to me who's convicted right now realizing that there have been times when he should have given up his right to his freedom, his Sunday afternoon, and done something for his children? I hope that maybe you will hear the voice of God in what you ought to do. It heartened me, it cheered and warmed me to see a thing like that on a subway in New York, showing kindness, sharing what they could do for others. What do you have? I mean, besides money. What is your most precious commodity? I think it's time, time and strength, perhaps. Do you have time to give to somebody else? Well, you probably don't have it, but can you arrange it? Can you make time? Do you have strength to offer to somebody else? Jesus said, all that the Father has given me, I have given you. Have you given to others in the name of God what God has given to you? Christ was willing to be stripped. He experienced radical limitation when he left his home in heaven and came to earth for us. In a word, as God's dear children, try to be like him, says Ephesians, and live in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up on your behalf as an offering and sacrifice. I remember one time speaking on these rather profound subjects and seeing a row of little children sitting on the front bench in front of me and wondering and sort of scratching my head figuratively how can I make this understandable to these children? Can they possibly get anything out of the message that I've prepared for today? Well, I got a letter from one of those children, a little six-year-old boy who wrote to say, I am learning to lay down my life for my little sister. She has to take a nap in the afternoon. I don't have to take a nap, but she can't go to sleep unless I come and lay down beside her. And so he said, I lay down with my little sister. I can't think of a more genuine expression of love than a six-year-old boy's sacrificing that half hour or hour in the afternoon when he could be playing and being kind to a little sister. Christian love is a practical thing. It is a down-to-earth thing. It's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing, not just a Sunday thing. What is God speaking to you about today 
as for ways in which you can express love to a neighbor, to a crotchety old person that you really ought to visit because you know that that person has very few visitors, a phone call that you could make, a card, a cake that you might bake, a casserole to take to a busy housewife or perhaps a sick mother who needs help with her children. When I worked with the Colorado Indians in the western jungle of Ecuador, I had several rather significant losses during that year. One of them was the loss of the language work that I had actually done. And as I've looked back on that loss, I realize that God had given me the privilege of giving that work only to him because, of course, I had offered that work to him. I was doing it for him. I was doing it, I believed, in obedience to him. And it came to nothing, humanly speaking, just right down the drain. But the Lord reminded me, no, not down the drain. Nothing is down the drain if it's given to me. I know what to do with it. Never mind. It wasn't useless. Perhaps there's someone who needs to hear that word today. Something that you have done appears to have gone completely down the drain. Did you do it in love? Did you do it for somebody else? Did you do it out of a conscientious performance of duty? Very likely, the answer is yes. Don't you think God would accept that as an offering? If even now, after the fact, you say, well, yes, Lord, I understand. I give that to you. Help me to realize that nothing that's given to you is lost. Lord, this is what we ask for ourselves today. Teach us to give to you our souls, our life, our all. What a small sacrifice in comparison to what you have given to us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Part three of What Shall I Give Him? What is Love? Well, as we've been thinking about what we would give to the Lord, think about those who have given their lives in his service, people like Jim Elliott. Well, today we hear an excerpt from a sermon Jim gave. It's dated April 11, 1951. For three weeks now, the frame and fabric of America has reverberated at the return of General MacArthur. The countless pages of press copy written concerning the liberator of the Pacific would fill libraries. The least of us has not escaped being somehow influenced by the arrival of this American hero. Everyone has registered some reaction. Wherever Americans are, this event has gone and registered some reaction. Even outside the American scene, right around the world, the echo of the event has carried itself ringing into the ears of uncounted millions, and each in turn has responded, some with wonder, some with joy, some with sincere and deep regret. The return of MacArthur brought surprise everywhere. Few expected the drastic method which our president used to dispense with the services of the general. But I should like for a few minutes to draw some parallels between the return of the general and the return of another great leader which has not yet taken place. The commander of whom I speak is not returning because the government is asking him to. He is not coming because anyone is displeased with his policies. He will not be everywhere applauded at when he returns. And if General MacArthur's recall was a surprise, then the return of this man will be 10,000 times more shocking. Few expect his return, but he will come. Come suddenly. I speak of the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. For just as really as MacArthur in his farewell to Baton said, I shall return, 
and did return, so did Jesus Christ say, If I go away, I will come again. For those who followed MacArthur when he was in the Philippines but had to remain on the islands while he was gone, those words of his were an encouraging promise. For his enemies, they were a dark threat. So is it with Jesus. His statement, I will come again, has ever been for his followers heartening comfort. For those who do not know and do not obey him, those words can never be anything but a disturbing threat. Listen for a moment, will you? as I read a description of the promised return of Christ. Lo, he is coming on the clouds, and every eye shall see him, even the men who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth shall lament over him. The voice of Jim Elliot from March of Truth, April 11th, 1951. Well, our time is coming to an end, but before we go, let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office. Maybe you took a drive. Well, wherever we found you today, thanks for coming. And on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org. That's elizabethelliot.org. More talks, devotionals, videos, and more. Maybe you like to do some reading. Maybe you prefer a video. Well, we have both. Uh, check it all out there at elizabethelliot.org. Hey, and if you get a chance, leave us a review wherever you find us on this podcast. Thanks. Well, until next time, may God remind you daily. You are loved with what? That's right, an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms.